Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the woman who won more than 65,800,000 votes in the last election, Hillary Rodham Clinton. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. Be. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's time, it's time to, to speak out. out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, yes we, we can. can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. If we don't get people to vote, starting in Virginia and New Jersey and then in 2018, we're not going to turn this around. Yep. And it is gratifying to see how many people who were never thinking about getting into office now are. Um, a few more audience questions. Do you really keep that hot sauce in your bag? Also, we love you. I think you already answered that. Um, we appreciate you. Uh, what should the Democratic Party run on in the next election? It's not an easy question. Well, I think it has to be both economic justice and social justice. And Look, you know, we have the better side of the argument about how to make the economy grow, to be inclusive, to lift incomes, provide opportunities. We just have to keep plugging away at it and not, you know, not get discouraged. And we have to keep calling out the other side, whose answer to everything is tax cuts for the wealthy, 
You know, I almost can imagine a scene in, you know, some Republican member's home and the kid calls out and says, hey, you know, I don't feel good. Well, take a tax cut for the wealthy and <laughs> we'll wake you in the morning, see how you're doing, because it answers everything, every, whatever ails you. Tech, I mean, that's really the, the inside story of what's going on with this attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act. It's to free up money for tax cuts for the wealthy. So we have to keep talking over and over again and not get discouraged because sometimes uh, we think we make a great argument, uh, but it doesn't you know, take the first time. We have to keep going at it time and time again. But we can't be promoting and standing up for economic justice to the exclusion of turning our back on all the progress we've made in moving people forward on civil rights and women's rights and gay rights and human rights. So I just don't, I don't buy, I, I don't buy this false dichotomy. You can only be for the economy or you can only be for people's civil rights. That's ridiculous. We want everybody to rise. We want everybody to have a better opportunity and future uh, going forward. Well, let's, um, let's talk about women for a second because um, we both care about women and I think most people here do. Um, just getting back to The Handmaid's Tale, the, sub, the, the other big subtext of The Handmaid's Tale is how women treat other women, especially women with power, women with power, with women who don't have power, women who've been uh, marginalized, and it can be very cruel the way women treat other women. You've experienced a little bit of, a little bit of that yourself, obviously. Right, well, yeah, I'm glad you asked about it, Lisa, because I, I, I write about this, and I'll, I'll start with um, a conversation I had uh, shortly before announcing that I was going to run. And it was with Sheryl Sandberg, somebody that I've known for a long time and really appreciate uh, the work that she's done uh, with Lean On, with the research, working with uh, professors at Stanford, at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, marshalling, again, facts and evidence about what actually uh, happens uh, in women's lives, how we're perceived, how we perceive ourselves. So. She said she wished that everyone who read Lean On understood what she thought was one of the major takeaways from that book, which was that the more professionally successful a man becomes, he becomes more likable. And you know what's coming. The more professionally successful a woman becomes, she becomes less likable because our, you know, our stereotypes, our presumptions about what's appropriate and not appropriate are just so powerful. I mean, they are rooted in our DNA. They go back millennia. And so you say to yourself, okay, if that's the case, then what can we do about it? The second point she made, equally provocative, is that women are liked much more, viewed much more favorably when they are in service to someone else. So I was in service to our country and service to President Obama as a member of his cabinet in his first term. I left the State Department with a 69% approval rating. People thought I was doing a good job, and I was doing a good job because they could see me, you know, standing up for our country, 
standing beside the president, trying to solve problems. And what was fascinating to me, it was really horrifying, but fascinating, was how effective it was to just begin to knock that down and to get to the point where, oh, gosh, we don't know what we think about her. And Cheryl made this uh, very clear. She said, you know, if you are in service to someone else, you are viewed favorably. So in the workplace, if you go to your employer and you say, I, I really think Lissa should get a raise. She's been working so hard. You get points because you're viewed as somebody who um, is a real team player looking out for your colleagues. If you go and say, you know, I've been working really hard and I'd like to be considered for a raise, if you're a woman, it's held against you. If you're a man, it's not. And these are just attitudes that are deeply embedded in how we see women in the public arena. Now, I won the women's vote, but I lost the white women's vote. I got more white women's votes, however, than President Obama got in 2012. So the problem is one that Democratic nominees have to contend with, have to figure out how to communicate, break through better. Now, I personally believe that I was doing well enough with white women, even Republican white women, before the Comey letter. But it stopped my momentum, and it played into the concerns that women have about whether they are making a mistake with their vote. I started going door to door in politics many, many years ago. And I was always surprised when I would knock on a door and a woman would answer and I'd say, you know, I'm here for this candidate. And the woman would say, well, I, I just don't know enough. I don't want to make a mistake. And so that was my personal experience and, of course, taking it to the, uh, the last month of this campaign, all of a sudden, people are being told, hmm, you know what? Something's going on. They, you know, they're going to investigate her again or whatever. We could see that a lot of women, in particular, turned away. They were discouraged. I don't blame them. They didn't know what to believe. I mean, it was outrageous what happened. But so you've got to see how women are trying to do what they think of as the right thing for themselves and for their family. They're often under pressure from people around them. A lot of anecdotal evidence about that. Uh, so when a woman runs, she has to work extra hard to convince other women that she can do the job that she is running for. And we've made progress, not enough, in the Congress, in the Senate, way not enough in governor's offices, but getting people to feel comfortable at the presidential level is still a challenge. There's some statistics in my book that even among Democratic women and men, it's not 80 or 90 percent who think they'd like to see a woman president. It's in the high 60s for women. It's in the 40s for men. 
which is a lot more than it is for Republicans who just have a hard time thinking about a woman in uh, the uh, White House. So these are complicated psychological, emotional, political, economic issues. And if you think there's just one answer, uh, you're probably going to be wrong. And so we have to look at a much broader set of uh, responses and appeals uh, to persuade women to vote for other women and then to try to make solidarity uh, around that. You, um, one of the nice things in the book, though, is the, the incredible sense of support you have from your own friends, men and women, but especially women. You talk about your girlfriends being so, and that's been true forever for you. You've had these friends, friendships that have gone on, and thank goodness for that, right? Because women really do come through for other women when they're at least close to each other. Um, Next question from the audience, and we're, we're, we're coming close to our time, but we'll try to do these quickly. Uh, actually, this is no question, but I'm drinking Chardonnay with you in solidarity. <laughs> Can you demonstrate our alternate nostril breathing? Uh, anyway. Um, I really do highly recommend it. It's not that hard. What you is going? Yeah, Google it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> She's not going to demonstrate it, but you get the idea. Uh, what has been the most fulfilling part of your life so far? My whole life? Uh, what has been the most fulfilling <laughs> part of your, I guess, yes, whole life so far? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, my family and uh, uh, my friends, obviously, for me, uh, and doing work that I believed in and that I thought made a difference. Uh, I write in the book about, um, I write about my marriage, and my husband, I write about my daughter and motherhood. I write about my mother. I write about my friends. Um, Your father. Because at the end of the day, uh, everybody has disappointments. Everybody has losses. I viewed this book as much about resilience as about running for president. Uh, because at, for me, having... Uh, the support and the encouragement that I got from my family during the campaign and certainly in the aftermath and from my friends, you know, made all the difference uh, as to, you know, how I felt and whether I could, you know, sort of summon the energy and the commitment to continue to uh, play a public role on behalf of causes and values that I care about. Uh, so I, I think... Um, I'm a very, look, I'm a very fortunate person, and I want others, no matter what happens to you in life, to understand that there are ways to get up and keep going. And don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your friends, on people you care about. Here's a, uh, a serious and, and question that I think we all are distressed about, what is your advice for federal workers facing the internal destruction of their agencies, especially at EPA and state? And we miss you. Wow. You know, I am so distressed because there's so much um, experience and expertise among federal employees across our government, and it's been hard won. It has been years in the making. 
Uh, and there seems to be a total disregard, even a contempt on the part of many uh, in this administration uh, for what uh, federal workers know and what they've done and the advice that they can give. You know, the other night um, I was uh, talking with Rachel Maddow about this when it came to the State Department, and I, I, I have such a high regard for so many of the you know, foreign service officers and civil servants that I worked with at all levels in the State Department. Uh, and I think about some of the crises that we confront, like North Korea, and, you know, people who know the language, know the history, have experience in uh, the Korean Peninsula and China and Japan, they should be sitting in meetings with the highest levels of this administration providing advice and information that could be useful on behalf of our country. There is such a disdain, though, for um, federal workers. So I guess I would say if you can stick it out, stick it out, because the tide has to turn. And... If we can take back one or both houses of Congress in 2018, you will have people you can talk to again. Um, but I know how difficult that is because I, I know what's happened to people that I worked with in the State Department, uh, you know, just really being frozen out and uh, demeaned, mistreated. Um, so I know it's not easy for me to say this, uh, but I don't want us to lose uh, the decades, really, if you added it all up, the thousands of years of experience uh, on, in the EPA, uh, in the State Department, in the Labor Department, in a lot of the places that are being targeted uh, by the administration. Um, so I, I hope that we can maintain a, a core of experienced public servants uh, in our government uh, because at some point they're going to need you and the country's going to need you, and I hope you're still there. Um, we are going to have to wrap it up, unfortunately. Um, I want one, one last audience question, though, was um, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, the hard questions that... <laughs> my favorite flavor, I guess chocolate, anything with chocolate in it. Yeah. You know. Um, but I, I did want to just say a few more words about the future because that's really what I'm most focused on. I, I think it, it was important to figure out what happened in order to be better prepared and you know, some of it is institutional, some of it is attitudinal, but it can all have an effect on uh, not just our politics, but on who we are as Americans. And I'm concerned that a lot of, um, a lot of permission has been given uh, to people to be very uh, bigoted, um, to be prejudiced, uh, to lash out at others uh, based on religion or gender or race and every other kind of uh, identifying characteristic. 
And so I, I think it's very important that we not grow weary in uh, standing up for what we see as core American values, not permitting uh, the clock to be turned back and uh, people's progress to be uh, reversed. Uh, you know, there's a lot to be proud of uh, that the resistance and people in the resistance are doing every single day. And, of course, the great contrast that I, I write about between the inauguration on a Friday and the Women's March on a Saturday... <laughs> ..and holding the line on repealing the Affordable Care Act and saving insurance for millions of Americans is a really big deal. And, and there's ways for everybody to play a role. Not everyone will start an organization or run for office, but everybody can uh, be sure you, your friends, everybody you know is registered to vote. You can be sure that if you have a free weekend, you can go canvas in, uh, this year in Virginia or in, in New Jersey. You can start looking to see strategically where your vote will count the most, because in the 2018 election, there are going to be some very competitive seats. I won 24 congressional districts that have a Republican member of Congress in them. And so thinking hard about how you can support people who stick their necks out and, and decide they're going to run, uh, you know, going online to combat uh, untruths and, and attacks and vitriol, you know, be one of those people who uh, is standing up and, and, and tweeting back or f posting something on Facebook or making it clear that, you know, people are not going to be given a pass if they are promoting uh, falsehoods and, and personal attacks and, and uh, you know, really horrible uh, positions, uh, whether it's white supremacy or neo-Nazis or Ku Klux Klaners, whatever it might be, that, you know, we're not going to let that go unanswered uh, because it's critical that people have a sustained commitment to taking our country back in the way that we believe it is at its best in order to have the kind of future that we believe is possible. And no one has more of a stake in that than young people. And so for me, it, I'm going to spend a lot of my time, you know, supporting young people, uh, talking with young people, encouraging young people um, to understand the power of their votes, which is still the great uh, uh, unrealized uh, opportunity in American politics, and to keep having cross uh, relationships that, you know, cross every line uh, that is meant to divide us, instead obliterate them, and to lead integrated, full lives with each other, and to be kind of the rebuke to those who want to divide us and undermine us. And I, I am very optimistic. I mean, at the end of the day, and at the end of my book, you know, I talk about love and kindness, something that we talked a lot about in the campaign, which, you know, was something that um, was my attempt to respond to the, 
you know, the, the, the sight of some of the rallies on the other side, you know, the, the veins bulging in necks and the yelling and the, uh, the pushing and even the violence and, you know, come on. You know, that, that's not who we are, or that's not who we should be. So at the end, I talk a lot about what I think we can do and should do uh, going forward. And uh, at, the end, at the end of the book, I'm optimistic because I really believe that, you know, we always summon up the energy and get ourselves, you know, focused right and keep moving toward that more perfect union. Um, and I'm going to do everything I can to help us get there. And um, you start the book with Harriet Tubman, Keep Going, which has been a favorite of yours. And this book, by the way, is really in some ways a collection of your favorite sources of inspiration, quotes and phrases. And I thought that, first of all, thank you for not going quietly into the night. Um, well, you know, I... I, I, I wanted, I, 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 <laughs> you know, I just wanted to say that none of us, none of us can afford to go quietly away. Um, we need our voices, we need our energy. And yes, I really do believe it takes a village, or in this case, it takes a country, uh, to get us back on the right track. And it's very consistent with my belief that we have to bring people together to work together. And this, you know, this children's version of It Takes a Village, which is intended to say, you know what, we all have to work together. And maybe you think it's politically correct. I think it is America at its best. And so we're not going to go anywhere. We're still going to be here and still fighting and still moving. And, and let me just end with, with a couple of quotes. You've been, you know, by, by using your voice, by writing this book, by being who you are, by supporting Onward Together and starting Onward Together, you are a model for a lot of people who wonder what they can do. And, um, and I just want to end with a few quotes that you include in your book. I think that we can all turn to as we resist, insist, persist, and enlist. Uh, Nelson Mandela, the greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time you fall. Pope John the 23rd, concern yourself not with what you tried and failed, but what is still possible to do. One of your favorites, T.S. Eliot, there's only the trying. Ralph Waldo Emerson, life goes on. But here's the best one, and we will end on this one. And I think this one is most appropriate for this evening, most appropriate for you and what you've done for this country for the last 25 years and will for the next 25 plus years. From Maya Angelou but still I rise. Thank you all very much for coming. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our liberty, opportunity, and
you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you and nobody, nobody gonna hit as hard as life. Hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access Public America. Access America. History, in the, history in the making. 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 History in history the making. History in the making. Looking for your next favorite podcast? Stop searching and let Potable do the work for you. Potable is the only podcast listening platform that uses artificial intelligence to recommend podcasts tailored to you. Import your favorites automatically and instantly discover countless options. Download the app in the iOS App Store or visit potable.co to access a world of discovery. Yep, that's Potable. P-O-D-I-B-L-E. That's some good app. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.